are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. We are broadcasting live from Phoenix DRJ Conference 2019. And my next guest is Tim O'Connell, President and CEO of Podrunner. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Now, Tim gave me a couple of brochures in front of me of this uh, interesting device in front of me. Tim, what is that? Well, first we have to talk about the Podrunner. The Podrunner is a delivery system that allows heavy devices and cargo items to attach to a trailer hitch and then lift its wheels off the ground very easily. And we do different things with that. We do command centers. We do sorts of things like that. What we have here is called SatRunner. And what it is is a complete integrated high-speed satellite internet and and LTE or cellular device with onboard generators and batteries and, and a network management stuff that can be owned by a customer stored inside and then when they lose internet or they have to go somewhere where there is an internet, they can easily throw it on the trailer hitch, take it with them, and pop up a high-speed, up to 30 meg service, high-speed satellite plan for a Wi-Fi hotspot, for example. So, so for, go ahead. So is this for um, anybody? Yes. For like any company, small, medium, large? So or? for the this, typically until last night when we launched this, would cost about $250,000. And we're launching a package here that's delivered complete for $49,000, which means literally businesses, can, it's about the cost of a car, now gives you a bulletproof, bombproof backup satellite plan that you can either use to keep your building satellite you know, internet up and going. Because the, the big factor is, in today's world, without internet, you're dead. That's you, true. Your yeah, business yeah, is dead. Yeah. Everyone's, this show is full of people that are putting all of their stuff in the cloud, right? It's all about cloud resiliency. It's about backup in the cloud. And then it's about VoIP phones and getting all that kind of stuff going. If you don't have internet, you can't see any of it. So everybody else in this room is taking care of, of your stuff in the cloud. We're the only company here that lets you see the cloud on a bad day. And that's what we do. I should take one of these for the cottage. <laughs> well, we don't have internet up there. So. <laughs> understood. Well, and it's interesting that, that a lot of radio and broadcast people, when they want to do like field uh, satellite news gathering and things, they're starting to now want to buy these because it's such a small form factor. They can get places where they couldn't go before. You can put this in four-wheel drive. So you may remember in, in, Chico, or in Paradise, California, they just had the campfire last November. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, one of these was owned by the sheriff there, and he was able to put it on a sheriff's car drive it four-wheel drive through the forest because none of the roads were accessible because all the trees and power lines had fallen. Drive it through the forest, through the fire, got it up there, popped it up, and it was the only source of IP on the entire Paradise Megalia area and ran that fire and, and, and managed all of that emergency response. So that's been our traditional customer base. For the first time, we have a price point here and a, and a, and a platform that can be easily owned by a business, for example, and kept either for backup internet or if they have planned outages, which happen, you know, for maintenance and stuff, they mm-hmm. can roll it out and run an Ethernet line in and power their business up. Or maybe they're doing events where they're doing something in, out for the public. Or an insurance company. We have had several insurance companies. Uh, their agents can take these into areas that are devastated and simply pop it up. You can actually leave it on the back of the vehicle and pop the satellite terminal up and pop a Wi-Fi hotspot that's good for about eight to 800 to 1,000 feet. You can roll it into a town set up to do your you know, insurance work and give those people a chance to make a phone call, to, to fill out the f- 
their forms, check email, and all that kind of stuff. Or, or banking. <coughs> Excuse uh, me, or banking. Banking uh, banks can use that, right? And there's an interesting, uh, are you familiar with Wi-Fi calling? Yes. Many, many people are not. And it's, it's really ridiculous. Um, it's one of the most powerful features on a phone these days, and it's free. So when you turn on Wi-Fi calling, when we pop a Wi-Fi hotspot, we've also lit up all the cell phones. Oh, that's nice. Yes. You know, because that's always one of the biggest things you're always <laughs> here. My cell phone is dead. I can't get it. Right. Signal, I can't do anything. And what, what is the one thing that uh, everyone's trying to do? I do have a question. How do you uh, power this? Because if businesses have this and it's sitting somewhere, <coughs> is it plugged into something? Is it gas powered? Is it solar powered? You know, how, how do yes. you keep it powered? <clears throat> we have a Honda 2200 generator on board. I can plug it in shore power. Or I can power it from DC, 12-volt DC. Okay. Any of those. And it just hooks up on the back of the car, right? Now, is, <coughs> is it uh, uh, where you have to purchase it? Or if I had a disaster right now, do I call you and you provide that service? Or is that something that maybe consider <coughs> in the future? These are, these are designed. Thank you. I just got a glass of water from the DRJ <laughs> gentleman. Appreciate it. <coughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> Um, these are designed um, at under $50,000. They're designed for customers now to own these. It's called a compact rapid deployable. Okay. And they go through doorways. They go on elevators. They go on escalators. You just keep it in your uh, back room or you keep it in a warehouse or keep it in a garage. And when you need it, you take it, either use it where it is or throw it on your trailer hitch with no lifting. There's a scissor lift. And drive it to where you need to use it. It's the first time in history that this has been available like this. <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting. And at you that know, price point. Looking at it, it looks almost space age, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it, but it's very interesting. Well, it's right at the bottom of that mask that's sticking over oh, the curtain it? right there. So. I'll have to come around and, ha and have a look so I can see it for myself. So it not only is taking cellular, I mean, excuse me, not only has the satellite capability, but it has high-powered uh, cell radio, cell receiving radios on board, for example. So it's going to be looking for LTE for cellular. It can use Wi-Fi as WAN. Someone can plug Ethernet in, into it, or it can go um, with the with the satellite. And we put a router on a cradle point router that can manage this whole network. And then it's putting out either Wi-Fi or Ethernet, depending on what you need. But typically, most people just use the Wi-Fi. And what's interesting is, is with the cradle point now, we can actually see all the users. And so you want to protect your data and only have your people use it. Mm -hmm. You can actually put password protection in there. You can actually do MAC address whitelisting, which only allows your devices to see this data. Does so it have a limit with people? <coughs> if, if my company had a disaster and I had uh, two, three hundred people, can I get all of them to use this? So, or is so there probably, a bit of a limit? Probably right not. So with, with 25 to th maybe 30 meg service. Mm -hmm. It kind of depends on what technology you're using, what you're trying to do. I mean, if, yeah. you, have, if you have all those VoIP phones, um, you can run a whole ton of VoIP phones. You can do simple email if people aren't watching videos and pushing video. That's what really pulls data. One person deciding to go watch Netflix <laughs> is going to start to... It's going to ruin it for you. <laughs> right. So you, you really want to be able to, you know, if you have a larger group, you need to manage and, and have their, you know, make sure that they're watching. The other thing that's gone on, we use Viasat uh, data here. And uh, the Viasat has now launched some data plans that makes data very, very inexpensive. Um, for example, uh, I can, you or you can buy either like a $225 a month data plan that gives you a fair amount of data and then charges you for more use if you use it. 
which is good for occasional users. Mm -hmm. If you want to use it a lot, you can buy a thousand gig data plan for about $5,000, which is five bucks a gig. And that for satellite data is incredibly inexpensive. Well, incredibly expensive. Hopefully your business is not in a situation where you need this all the time. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. our, our business is... Uh, At least not disaster -wise. Yeah. <laughs> our, our, the parent company uh, is Rescue 42, as you see in the card. We, we're a 25-year-old oh, yes. <coughs> fire and rescue equipment manufacturer. And so... Because you mm. mentioned you are also... I'm a crazy person. Yes, I'm an ex-nuclear uh, engineer on submarines that then became a volunteer fireman and a businessman. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I, I have a lot of experience in different areas that have kind of all come into the culmination of this. So we have the patents and all that stuff on the delivery system of Podrunner. The website is thepodrunner.com. You have to put a the on the front, T-H-E-P-O-D-R-U-N-N-E-R.com. And that will show you the video, which you really want to watch the How It Works video. And once you see that, then you understand the magic here. And then knowing that you can own this thing for less than 50000 delivered and it is incredible. Now, <coughs> is this just the U U.S.? Because I know you mentioned U.S., but so what if, because I'm actually from Canada, mm -hmm. you know, and most people who listen to the show know that. Yeah. What if I turned around and said, hey. This. So we're agnostic on, we build the delivery system, we build the platform. We're pretty much agnostic on the pieces that we bolt on. So right now we use Viasat, and, uh, and, and that's available in, in the United States and all of the southern tier of Canada, which is where most of the Canadians live, eh? Yeah, that's true, eh? We do. <laughs> southern part, yeah. Um, if, you're getting, if you're gonna get up into the frozen north and stuff like that, you would have to switch to probably a KU type of a terminal, which we can certainly accommodate, but the standard, it's not going to be a $49,000 option. It's going to be quite a bit more expensive. Um, this we're doing in volume that allows us to get that price down to that incredible low price where literally it's under $50,000, which for many companies, that's like buying a car. It's not even mm -hmm. something they have to put in a budget. But well, how did the idea for this come around? Because we're always hearing, you know, uh, well, regardless of the situation, you know, we couldn't do any talking. We couldn't use ourselves. We couldn't do yeah. this. So how did this come about? So it's, it's kind of been a demand function. I originally built the Podrunner chassis because I was going to put a barbecue and a keg of beer on it, which would be a great idea. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it was be. not a good business model to do. People wanted, people wanted other types of devices. And finally, some people came to me, some of the military, and said, you know, if you could put a satellite because these satellite parts are coming. But right now we have these flyaway kits. There's a case here. we got to pull the generator. It's all bits and pieces, and it's never working right. If you can combine it all together, this would be something phenomenal. And so that's what we've done. And we've had test units out for a couple of years, and then now we've taken the culmination of all that learning and just launched it into this new mature sat runner, it's called. And it is, and it's at that price. It's it's almost a no-brainer. So if I understand correctly, not only are you the president and CEO, you're also the inventor? Yes. Really? Yeah. That's great. It's, uh, you know, when you can't sleep, you've got to think about something, right? You think of things like this, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Navy on submarines, you switch to 18-hour days for years, and it really screws up your, uh, your, your biological <laughs> clock. So sleeping becomes an option. It's nice to have sometimes. Well, I, I, it's just a three-hour time difference for me and my biological <laughs> clock's all messed up. You know, 18-hour days, I don't know how you yeah. do it. Yeah, my fellow submariners out there, we, we, they know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> so what's next for Satrunner now that you're here at DRJ? and um, uh, you're, you're relatively new. 
Yes. Well, what's now for Satrunner is to introduce it to these vertical markets that, like uh, the ones we see here, and then hopefully uh, have to worry about making enough. <laughs> which is uh, which looks like it's going to be our next problem, which is which is good news to have. We're already ha uh, selling these, going to be selling these for emergency response in large volumes for uh, fire and police and those kind of people to have to be able to take. There's a new band called FirstNet. You're probably familiar with FirstNet. Mm -hmm. Well, you put a small small cell radio on this thing, and it becomes a FirstNet cow cell on wheels. So you can actually have a portable cell tower that you can take with you for an emergency event, and so that's actually simultaneously happening on this platform. So the, the, this, it would make sense, obviously, to, to go to emergency responders. Mm -hmm. You know, fire, which you yes. are, so obviously yep. that's a natural fit. Right. You know, but first responders like police as well. Right? Yes. And, um, you know, well, any first responder. Right. There are quite, like the city of Los Angeles fire department is already buying these. Uh, sheriff's departments, police departments, uh, CAL FIRE, which is the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. The big, they bought their first one after the campfire when they were embarrassed that the sheriff had capabilities they didn't have they didn't communications have right and uh and it's just a natural fit the bottom line is this in today's world everything needs ip everything needs internet if you don't have an internet signal whether it's cellular or some other way you really can't do much fire and police still use our radios but this is where the future is going and it's here now and we have the answer well, it's an, definitely an interesting product. You know, even just looking at the pictures mm -hmm. on the back of this uh, automobile here, it looks like they, you know, you do it the way you carry bicycles. It's very much. It uses, just uses the trailer hitch. It lifts itself up, hooks on, and then pulls its wheels off the ground so it's not a trailer. That's incredible. <clears throat> well, I know we're only going to have about one minute left. Is there mm -hmm. anything you want to say you know, about uh, Pod Runner, anything I would just ask uh, your listeners <coughs> if they'd like to see more about this and watch videos, go to www.thepodrunner, T-H-E-P-O-D-R-U-N-N-E-R.com. And the first thing you want to do there is watch the How It Works video. We call it the AHA video. Once they see that, then the rest of this kind of all makes sense on how this unique delivery system works and what we can put on it. See, I'd rename that to the wow video, you know, myself. Like, <laughs> wow. wow. There we go. Just, That's the wow video. You, know, you, you got it, it right. Everybody that comes up here, you know, or even on the regular shows that, uh, you know, I record, they all talk about, you know, the cells were down and we right. couldn't get internet. And then I'm suddenly sitting here with someone, you know, I've got an answer. For, for the some price of, of a small car, any business can never lose their internet again. Knock on wood, of course. That's, but that's you know. <laughs> well, if the if the if the hurricane's big enough to knock the satellite out of orbit, we probably have other problems. Yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah, that's right. true. Well, thanks very very much, Tim. I, I really it. appreciate your Sorry time. Sorry, I and choked up on your show. Oh, that's okay. I, I've been doing it myself. Uh, congratulations on this. I'm going to keep these if that's okay. You're, you're welcome to. Okay, good. I'm going to keep those. Thanks very much for for your time. My pleasure. And we are broadcasting live from Phoenix DRJ. We'll be right back. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Join Voice America and host Alex Fullick for the DRJ Fall 2019 in Phoenix at the JW Marriott Desert Ridge. Broadcast live Monday, September 30th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. The topics of the event are innovations in managing risk and resiliency. This is part of a three-day event featuring the top industry experts designed to keep your organization at the forefront of risk management. For more information, visit drj.com forward slash fall 2019 or join us live on voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. 
Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. Conversation at a click of a mouse. VoiceAmerica.com are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. We are broadcasting live from Phoenix DRJ 2019. And my next guest is Mr. Chris Falletra. Am I saying it right? Yep, Falletra. And where are you from? Uh, Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. Oh, I meant the company, but that's okay. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> we have, Massachusetts is nice. I've been there. So. Yeah. <laughs> our, our parent company, SACOM Direct, is uh, based out of Melbourne, Florida. And our division, CompSat, the headquarters is in uh, Herndon, Virginia. And I manage services out of our two Earth Station teleports, one out of Southbury, Connecticut, and one in Santa Paula, California. So what does CompSat do? The division of CompSat that I work for, we do fixed satellite communication services. So we run two Earth stations, and we run networks out of those uh, teleports over the satellite. So if you have disaster recovery services, we run um, for the cruise ship industry, oil and gas, mining, um, a number of um, mobile satellite services in the maritime, so any so, shipping and that so kind of thing. So we're we talking real satellites floating around... In the uh, you know, atmosphere, that yes, kind of sir. satellite? Yeah, that kind of satellite. We're not talking satellite offices no, or no, locations. No. So, yeah, so we, we, we have the provide the terrestrial connectivity to anybody who's in a remote location where you do not have access to cell phone. Um, if in the case of a disaster, hurricanes, fire, um, earthquakes, where mobile services, they bring them in and we can get you up over the satellite and up and running again. Are you the guys with those big, clunky phones you see in movies? Those guys? So, I, I, I'm probably being silly here, but I, I, no. that's actually what I thought of, was some of those big, clunky phones they have in movies where they always say, oh, you know, I got a satellite phone. So, you know. I get a kick out of the movies in particular because you see these guys and they're inside a building and they've got this satellite phone that they're supposedly talking on. If you're in a building, it doesn't work. You've got to be out <laughs> somewhere outside that, for a satellite phone to actually work. Oh, but really? <laughs> <laughs> so it's the biggest joke. They say, oh, yeah, I'm on my sat phone, and they're in an office somewhere, and that's just not the case. It doesn't uh, work that Hollywood way. never gets it right. I know, right? <laughs> but no, so the, the, the different divisions, the parent company, SATCOM Direct and CompSat, we in the disaster recovery world, we provide a, a, well, I would say a comprehensive solution. And that solution is tied around, if there's a disaster, we would go into that area with them, support by 
getting up initially on communications through these satellite phones. Then there's mobile services where we can get a small terminal up and general data connectivity. Then at that point, once the sort of base of operations is established, we get a larger fixed satellite service for much uh, larger pipes and then a data center, which will allow you to get access. So say all state insurance goes into an area where a tornado's hitting. They can go in, satellite phones, get their base of operations up. Then they have access to the data for the people within that region and can start doing forms, claims, support, and all that without paper. Now they've got the computer connectivity to the data center services, and they're up and running. And they're doing it quicker, uh, more efficiently, and it's a good customer service thing. And in addition to that, it's you know, really covering um, regional requirements. And so that, that's what we give. So it can be used anywhere, but really it's situations where the infrastructure is gone. Is, would that be correct? In- yeah, absolutely. So anytime that you, you get knocked out of infrastructure within a region, we would provide the services to get you back up and running. Is there a limit to how much uh, it can do? Because uh, you mentioned Allstate, so that's just one company. Or yeah. can multiple companies use one? one, one um, is it a terminal? Or yeah, so the terminal, yeah. The so multiple companies. Um, we do support with uh, FEMA, um, with hospitals with the VA networks, with anybody. And so they can be tied into a single infrastructure within a region that we can provide the services for. So yeah, a terminal does not require just one customer. You can have multiple customers tied to that same terminal. Is there a limit to that? There is. Um, I would assume there had to be at some point. Yeah, (laughs) at some point, you know, depending, it's all without getting into too technical of a requirement, the smaller the terminal, the the less number of users it can be on that. Larger terminals can get more customers. It's just, yeah, it's a, a scalable. Right. But it, it's been used in, uh, re- has it been used in recent disasters? Considering there's been quite a few with the you know previous guests mentioned fires in mm-hmm. California. We've had hurricanes on the East Coast in the just recent yeah. weeks. You know, uh, has, I, I assume it's being used right now. Right. Pro, you know. We, we uh, run the FEMA network for the continental U.S., um, Puerto Rico. Uh, right now, we have our disaster recovery services in the Bahamas. Um, we run for the California fires um, with the fire services, and again with FEMA in that region. We've done it in Houston and Florida um, with the tornadoes in Oklahoma. So yeah, there's a number of different areas that we would run these services out of. It, it just got me thinking. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be an area that had a disaster, correct? No. It no. can just be a um, remote let's say, right. location, right? Yep. You can use this and do the same thing there. Correct. So um, maritime services, for example, you know, you don't have that terrestrial connectivity. So for, you know, anybody who's doing shipping, uh, the Coast Guard, um, any of these tugboat services that are um, being out there for not only rescue missions, but support and maintenance type things. Um, in addition to, like I said, the shipping industry, today you have to monitor number of different things. There's all this RFID information, you know, lettuce is coming from China and you have to keep it at a certain temperature the whole time. And all of that data is stored and that information is pushed up over the satellite so that at any point if the container is having problems, a refrigeration container, they can actively, you know, do repairs on that in the in the ocean before it gets to 
port and understand that you know now it's not spoiled whereas before if you didn't have that information it gets to port you open it up all oh, the things spoiled and we don't have that information so proactively so, so really comstat is i know you're at drj but you're not really solely focused on disasters no we're not you're, we you're really focused on communications yes you know, under any circumstance. We do point-of-sale <clears throat> services for Chick-fil-A. Um, we do um, SCADA monitoring for oil pipelines, um, for um, mining operations in Guyana and here in the U.S. We support Phillips 66 for their pipeline services and monitoring flow rates of gas and oil that are going through the system. So any place that there's a remote requirement without good connectivity or these small point-of-sale type services and things like that we're supporting. You're there. Yeah. Right. Now, you mentioned there's, uh, if I remember correctly, two, two sites, two, we main, have two main sites? Did two I? main uh, earth stations, yeah, one on the East Coast and one on the West Coast. That gives us that geographical And diversity. I assume that's the United States. Yes, Santa Paula, California, and Southbury, Connecticut. Now, but you also mentioned um, examples in Guyana mm -hmm. and uh, other places. So... Are you, um, even with those two locations in the United States, are you larger than that? You're more global, even so if the two sites are in? The two the sites States? in the U.S. can cover about just under two-thirds of the globe based on satellite positioning. Okay. We have partners in Cyprus, Fucino, Italy, uh, Perth, Australia, and Sydney, Austra and Sydney, Australia, that give us that full connectivity worldwide. So if you needed services in the Middle East... We can do it through our Fucino Italy partner. Um, if you need it in Southeast Asia, we can do it through Sydney, Australia, or Perth, Australia with other partners. So we have connectivity with them to do that. And I guess those partners come in handy, especially when uh, you mentioned something on the West Coast. And we all know how stable the fault line is mm -hmm. on the West Coast. <laughs> you know, so I assume having those partners in place help you know, um, with your own kind of redundancy correct you know. so the east coast and the west coast for the most part um are linked and can back each other up as required within like you said that sort of look area that they both have and then we use our, utilize our other partners for the other services so how long have you been around uh, doing this <clears throat> i've i've been doing it since i was 18 so mid 80s just a couple of years yeah, just a couple of years i started in the mid 80s with gte um, I was a field systems engineer um, through till the mid-2000s, and then I, I always joke I went over to the dark side. I, <laughs> I went to the sales side as you know, <laughs> getting married and having kids and running around the world just doesn't work so well. Yeah, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for, for Comstat? Where do you guys plan on going over the next uh, few years? Uh, I know you're here at DRJ, and you're getting your, mm -hmm. your name out there, and you know, obviously with uh, satellite phones, a lot of people mm -hmm. understand what that is. Yeah. Um, where do you see yourselves going or aiming for right now? So we're, we're in a really interesting time right now. The transition from these le the um, geostationary orbit um, satellites to, I'm sure you're hearing SpaceX and Google, yeah. uh, OneWeb is another one. They're going to be doing these low Earth orbit constellations that are going to provide worldwide services um, from one location. So you would be able to, it, it does satellite to satellite connectivity and so we're getting involved in providing the these network gateways at both of our facilities that will give you connection to these leo um the leo satellites the thing with the leo satellites is going to be 
um, much more data throughput um, in a, in a, in a uh, smaller device. And in addition to that, you'll have, again, just worldwide connectivity and not one carrier for this region of the world and another carrier for the, another region of the world. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, the, the latency. I don't know if you've, you know, satellite phones. I, I talk and then you hear me, you know, and you, you've seen it. You know, well, you like, see it on TV right. where the lips are moving, but the sound doesn't come until... Right. You know. and, and you're right. And that's exactly what's happening sometimes. They get a little bit out of sync. Or, and, you know, that, that, that latency causes... With the low Earth orbit satellites, that latency is significantly lower. And the quality of service is that much higher. And so you'll be able to get much larger links. You'll be able to do a lot more streaming and... The access to the data for worldwide services is, is significant with these LEO services. That's the next step. That's the next generation. So you're going to space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're going to space and you're going to bring this, uh, in, uh, uh, this interconnected world even closer to each other yeah. with, with what you've got planned. We're going to be a supporting uh, member of the, you know, the, the, the Googles of the world, the SpaceXs, the guys right. that that, you know, the Elon Musk who want to bring internet and connectivity to everybody to everyone, in the world. Yeah. And they, I, I know they have a phil uh, philanthropic thought to it, but, you know, business-wise, they want everybody on a Google phone and they want everybody on some, some device that they're involved with and their right. network and getting the information from them and generating that revenue that they want through that stuff. So there is a, you know, there's a give and take. There's a commercial side of it, but, yeah, we'll be supporting all of that. Uh, it's, I'm going to ask a stupid question only because we're talking about satellites. Would you be involved with things that NASA is doing? So we, we provide services and to... And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you have to get into any details, of course. No, no, no. no. I mean, from, you know, for years we supported the, um, the launches of the space shuttles. Oh, okay, for okay. communications on the space shuttles. Uh, CompSat's origination is honestly back in 64 um, under Kennedy. The original CompSat was part of that space group. And oh, wow. over the years, it moved through Lockheed Martin. And then when SATCOM directed, purchased um, the division back from, it was actually Airbus at the time, they brought back the CompSat name. But the original CompSat was a government group that was involved in that, certain, that original space race. Oh, wow. And there's some, you know, there, there's some connection still there from, you know, early in the, 70, in the, uh, in the mid-70s. When, and when I thought I was asking a stupid question. No, no, no. I was uh, expecting yeah. that answer. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got one minute, as you okay. can see from Ryan. Is there anything uh, you'd like to tell us uh, that maybe we didn't touch base on with CompStat? Well, with CompStat and then, like I said, the parent company, SATCOM Direct, one of the focuses, particularly for the data or for the disaster recovery side of it, is that we're providing a, more of a customized solution for the small and medium-sized businesses out there, uh, regional hospitals, regional insurance, um, the ability for them to not try and, and get into you know, the, the cost of the Verizon large AT&T services. We'll do a more cost-effective um, solution for these small and medium uh, enterprise businesses for that, that recovery side. Well, great. It's been great talking to you, Chris. Pleasure. Congratulations Thanks, on CompSat. And uh, all the best to you know the future and getting up there. Some of those uh, big goals you just mentioned. <laughs> you know, all the best on that. All right. We are broadcasting live from Phoenix, DRJ. We'll be right back. Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com.
Join Voice America and host Alex Fullick for the DRJ Fall 2019 in Phoenix at the JW Marriott Desert Ridge. Broadcast live Monday, September 30th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. The topics of the event are innovations in managing risk and resiliency. This is part of a three-day event featuring the top industry experts designed to keep your organization at the forefront of risk management. For more information, visit drj.com forward slash fall 2019 or join us live on voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. Conversation at a click of a mouse. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We are broadcasting live from DRJ 2019 in Phoenix. And my next guest is Mr. Mike Jennings. Mike, you are from Assurance, right? Yes, I am. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Alex. Now, can you tell us what you do at Assurance? Sure. I head up the Business Continuity Advisory Services Group. So that's uh, the consulting services group. And what I do and my team does is help uh, our customers and prospects develop actionable business continuity programs. So we look at everything from the governance side all the way through the policies, procedures, business continuity plans, disaster recovery, all the way through plan extra exercise and test. And then we'll also help them in the future um, coming back and doing, um, you know, annual, annual checkups. It's, it's, it's almost kind of a, a um, uh, you know, an annual program where we'll come in and, and make sure that their state of health is still, is still good. So how do you get started? You know, with so many different organizations out there of different sizes and different complexities, what do you do in your team, you know, I don't have a program, let's say. What do you do to get started? How do you manage and be able to go in there so that you can develop something for me? What do you do? Sure. So we kind of take it in small bites, right? So, you, you know, you can, you can go in and you can propose the biggest and the best of, of the, but if they can't afford it, if they don't have the appetite for it, if they don't have the resources for it. So you got to kind of figure that out on the front end. So, mm. you know, what our, what our team does is we'll go in and we'll scope it and we'll ask them what they want to do. The favorite question I ask is, you know, here you are today. Where do you want to be in three years? Where do you want to be in five years? And help them with the maturity of their program over, the, over that time. So in some cases, we'll come in and we'll do a pilot. You know, maybe just a small uh, part of the organization where we'll do the business impact analysis, the risk assessment, help them with their plans, and then show them the way that they could take that 
in the future and help grow their program. We certainly would love to come back, and we do in a lot of cases, go back and help them you know, with it over time. But we want to empower and do this knowledge transfer to our clients so that they can take the project on, uh, on their own and be successful. So you, you're, you're teaching them how to do things, not just we'll do it for you and kind of walking away, so to speak, as some, some things have happened. That's right. You know, Alex, when, when, we, um, when, we, uh, when we're engaged, we want to make sure that um, you know, we're doing this knowledge transfer because the, the, the one most important part is that if something happens and they have to invoke their plans, they're responsible for that. I, I can't fly in from Boston or wherever to help them with that. They really have to be responsible for that and have to own that. So we don't do anything behind, um, you know, behind curtains or closed doors. We're engaged with them side by side, and we help them understand the process, and then from there, they own the program, and off they go. How do you get um, you know, the stakeholders involved? Because at some point, somebody must come to you saying, we have a big problem, or we need help. But often what happens in, in my 20 years plus experience, you know, you've got the support right off the bat, and as soon as someone comes in to help, all of a sudden, your support kind of goes off and focuses on something else. How do you, you know, with your experience and your team, keep that interest and momentum going so that you can do those things that you said? Sure. We want to celebrate the wins, right? We want to, we want to make sure that the senior leaders, the executive sponsor, understands what we're doing and understands the milestones and understands, you know, the successes that we've, that we've had. And we also want to celebrate those with, with the internal team. Again, it goes back to this empowerment and it goes back to, to their ability to carry on the program. So that's kind of how we do that. Are there challenges with with this that uh, you know you're, you just smiled as soon as I said that? <laughs> so <laughs> you know, so uh, what kind of challenges are there in that? Yeah, we do have challenges, and, and it's just the challenges that most people face. It's resources, you know, whether the resources be people or funding or you know just just even time. Um, so so there's that, that con- continuous kind of um, you know. Uh, process of trying to figure out which is which is with you know maybe rob peter to pay paul but um you know in the end if you've if you've developed a pretty good relationship if you've developed a good relationship with the client and you've developed a good project plan and you know where you're going to be you know some of those resource uh, barriers can come down cost is one that um you know again it goes back to kind of sizing the sizing the engagement out for the for the opportunity and making sure that you're not trying to do everything at once and then give them a roadmap or a, a, a way to go it's like project management 101, scope, quality, and uh, cost, right? Right, right. You know, yep. always. And then figure out your critical path and don't screw that up. That's right. <laughs> but how do, you, how do you deal with that if, if you do have, um, you know, the, the scope? This is what our scope has to be. This is what we have to accomplish. But you're still faced with resource challenges. Do you adapt and change that scope? Do you whittle it down? Or do you, do you say, you know what, we're only going to focus on this piece because this is the biggest bang for the buck? How do you deal with that? Yeah, I think you, think you, get, you have to take your clues from, from the client. And you have to figure out, um, you, know, where, uh, you know, where they want, where their wins are. Um, right. So if, you've, if you're faced with this enormous scope and a very limited budget, um, that may be an ideal time to go and do a pilot or do a smaller subset of the project. Uh, and then, you know, figure out what the roadmap is and how they can then achieve that over time. I'll tell you a story. I had a client, um, this was a few years ago, we went in and we did a pilot for them. It was a small BIA for a firm up in New Jersey. Um, and it was to get, really to get kind of executive attention to this. So we did the BIA. The executives were a little tepid about the whole project overall, but we did, did a good job of the BIA. The BIA data and the risk data revealed so much about this organization that we went from the small pilot to a worldwide program with this, with this firm. 
and we consulted with them for almost two years. So it, it's, it was just amazing that you know from that we were able to we were able to you know make people realize the threats, mm-hmm. make people realize their vulnerabilities, and then showed the value over time. And it served to be a great program for for that firm, and they're still using it today. Good, great. So what happens? Um, let's say you finish that engagement, and you mentioned uh, sometimes you come back to help maintain. Do you come back to do a uh, like a scorecard saying, did you do all the things you were supposed to do, or um, you you evaluate where they've gone and find out that you know you were supposed to go in that direction? Somehow you're way over <laughs> you're here. Way over you know, do you encounter that, and how do you deal with that? We do. So so what we'll what we will do with you know when we leave. Um, the engagement, we kind of say, hey, we'll, we'll check back with you. Um, we, we have checkpoints, whether it be quarterly, semi-annually, or annually. Um, so we, we, we understand where they are at those at those intervals. And our team just goes in and they'll help with updating plans, with help with direction. Um, we'll help if they are stuck with a decision about, you know, what, what kind of strategy do I do here? Or what kind of, if they've brought something new into the, into the program, um, we'll help them you know, noodle through that and get through that. Um, we don't want to get so out of touch that if they take a left turn at Albuquerque and we don't really, you know, after a year and a half, we don't know where they are. We don't want to get, get involved. Uh, we don't want to leave that, that length of time. So we try to stay, um, stay sticky with them um, and stay with them, you know, at, at regular intervals. So even, even if they kind of veer off, you're still there to help guide yeah. to say, eh, you're veering off a little bit too far. You know, you're, you're, you wanted X, and for some reason you're pointing yourself at Z. You know, correct. So, correct. So, wh- how do you um, deal with situations where organizations may have already had a severe uh, um, impact? They've had some sort of a disaster or a crisis, and they've called you. So, what they had didn't work, and they they've called you. Where do you start that? How do you deal with that? Because you must be walking into just like a hornet's nest of. Of things, yeah, that that's a, a, sticky, a sticky situation because you've, you're walking into something that um, you know that didn't live up to expectations, um, and, and and your job is really to kind of turn that around and make sure that they have a program that will live up to expectations when you know when and if something were to happen in the, in the future. Um, so I, I, you go back to the basic building blocks, you know, and you go back and you you do a program review. You know, you might want to assess it. Based on you know, I like to assess things based on two, two, three, or one these days because I think that's a good framework. So maybe I would start with that, and and see where there are opportunities for improvement, and uh, and help uh, you know help them get to where they get to where they need to be. Um, but coming in after a disaster is always very difficult because there pe- people have formed an opinion, and sometimes mm-hmm. you might get into those naysayers that say, "What well, didn't work last time? What's gonna? Why is it gonna work better this time?" Um, and so you've got some sales to do there, you know, and some internal, quote unquote, sales to do to make sure that people buy into the program. And there's probably a little bit of finger pointing too going on, and that you're kind of stuck in the middle. You know, yeah, yeah. But coming in as, as the uh, as the third party, you know, as a kind of neutral third party, in that right. um, gives you a little bit of indemnification. You know, unfortunately, the the people that um, I, I've seen this in a couple of instances where where a program has failed to live up to expectations, those people tend to exit the organization and then mm. there's a new team brought in and you know there's so it's a whole different you know uh, ball game 
So if people want to find out more about Assurance and you know what you do, how do they get in touch with you? Sure, they can area? hit it. Yeah, they can hit our website, um, assurancesoftware.com. Um, take a look at uh, at our software products out there. We've got uh, a couple of them. Um, our Assurance CM, which is our uh, continuity manager platform, helps organizations develop, build their business continuity programs. So it's a, the pl- it's all about the planning. And then we have our insurance notification manager, the NM tool, which is a, obviously a notification. So we can push notifications out in the event of emergency. But come visit us at our website. Come see us at our booth if you're here. Oh, I will be. I, I still need my time to wander around and have a look at everything. Well, thanks very much, well, thank Mike, for your so time. I, I know we've come it. to the end of this segment. We are broadcasting live from DRJ Phoenix 2019, and we were talking with Mike Jennings from Assurance. We'll be right back. Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com. Join Voice America and host Alex Fullick for the DRJ Fall 2019 in Phoenix at the JW Marriott Desert Ridge. Broadcast live Monday, September 30th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. The topics of the event are innovations in managing risk and resiliency. This is part of a three-day event featuring the top industry experts designed to keep your organization at the forefront of risk management. For more information, visit drj.com forward slash fall 2019 or join us live on voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment and community for the aftermath, emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. Conversation at a click of a mouse. VoiceAmerica.com are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. We are broadcasting live from Phoenix, DRJ 2019. And my next guest is Mr. Phil Lambert. Phil, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Love to be here, man. Thanks. Now, you are from uh, Ripcord, and since here, you're the founder. Ripcord Solutions, and uh, yeah, that was quite a while ago. (laughs) (laughs) So are you still the top dog? That's not what anybody else would say about me. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, my son is the president of the company, and uh, uh, we specialize in uh, e-learning training. Uh, We develop those for... Um, hundreds of different customers that we have about resiliency and business continuity, not for the practitioner, but everyone else in the organization. And he runs that aspect of the company. Oh. Yeah. Now, you had a had a session here at DRJ, and you mentioned just before we started here, um, it was yesterday. Yes. Can you tell us about what you were uh, presenting? 
Sure. It's, it's one of my favorite topics in that um, the title of it was People, Not Paper. Uh, resiliency Begins with Training. Um, when I was young in my career, which is about 25 years ago, uh, I had a business unit experience a disaster. They had all their computers stolen over the weekend. Ooh. And uh, we had just updated their plans a couple of months before that, ran them through an exercise, did everything I was supposed to do and everything I was told to do, right? And uh, when I was walking down the hall, when I was looking at the people standing at the door, they were in chaos. They were confused. <laughs> they were almost afraid. And they shouldn't smile at that. You know, <laughs> well, well, it taught me that just updating plans and keeping good data somewhere or something just doesn't bring you the resiliency that one CEO asked me, can we recover one day? And, and that changed. That changed my whole perspective on everything. Is that paperwork is important. Documentation is important. It has to be simple, accurate, and viable. Uh, but even more important, we have to have knowledgeable, trained, and ready people. So how do you go about doing that? Because isn't resiliency a long-term thing? Oh, how yeah. Do yeah. We don't do this overnight, <laughs> uh, for sure. Uh, well, we do it whatever whatever time that we can invest. Uh, some companies will give us a lot more time uh, to work with the people, uh, but all the CEOs are looking to minimize the amount of time. Uh, I mentioned our training modules. Every time we work, we use our training modules because they're effective. Um, we kind of call it rapid continuity because we can actually implement a program in a very short period of time versus taking this long time. And we, we're looking at the long-term effect, meaning like, two, three years from now, we're a whole heck of a lot farther than we are today, but we know we're not going to have a mature program overnight. And it's about moving toward that vision of can we recover, or the newest term we're using lately is becoming crisis ready. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, can we recover a lot of times, that's about uh, people look at that as uh, health issues and so forth uh, Mm -hmm. with, um, uh, and becoming crisis ready is much easier term to understand and we try to simplify everything so how do you go about doing that if you're contacted by by an organization i want my staff to be resilient you know and you go about by training what do you do what what kind of things do they need to know to get started so that they can go through that you know couple year plan like you said to to get to a point well first of all you have to have a program framework and the program framework has Uh, your response uh, strategies, uh, your response sequence, and your communications strategies as well. Once you have defined the framework, then you begin teaching people or educating people on what that framework looks like. We use uh, process flowcharts, very short, very simple ones. Uh, We have a uh, what we call an IRG or initial response guide. It's a eight and a half by 11 folds and a half booklet, and it's everything anybody needs for the first two to four hours of the event. Um, if you've been around here very long at all, they'll say that the golden hour, yeah, <laughs> yeah, calls that. Uh, uh, the initial response to event is critically important. So just having an IRG versus a full blown plan is going to get you 70 percent of your uh, recoverability or your resiliency. In that, we have on as a table of contents is a flow chart. And we'll say, like, uh, determine severity of the event. If you don't know how to do that, you just turn to page 9, and the page 9 is right there within the icon. Uh, and you turn to page 9, and it tells you exactly how you can determine the severity of an event. So every step along the way from the event 
all the way through the um, activation of the crisis management team. Every step is there with the instructions and page numbers listed within that. And, and, and the flowchart is just one page. It's probably got about 11 items on it, and that's it. Simple, easy. So Even you, senior leaderships can follow this thing. Cause no, I had mask on that no way. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry, sure. any, any senior Sorry leadership listening, you know, <laughs> disregard yeah. what we said here. <laughs> but how do you go about knowing that uh, people are catching on to this? You know, um, I know some sort of a testing, but with online um, courses or, or um, awareness sessions, it's got to be a little bit challenging to know how do we know that they are catching on to this, that they are becoming... You know, they're, they're going down that path that we want them to I mean, go. That's, a, that's an excellent question. It's not asked very often at all. Uh, because people would love to base their programs on all the activities that we do. How many plans we updated, how many times we've exercised, how many this, this, and this, right? Uh, uh, and that's only part of the measure. Mm-hmm. The more important measure is what are our capabilities. How can, we, how can we be sure that we know that we can meet those expectations in responding, restoring, and recovering from an event. And uh, there are measurements that you can measure, especially in tabletop exercises. I call them experiential exercises because we're putting people as close to a reality of a disaster as we can so that they can learn from experience because adult learning, most of Mm -hmm. it is adult experience, right? And uh, we... Uh, set objectives, uh, and we can measure what our capabilities are. So there's three things that need to uh, you need to have. You need to have um, uh, people, you need to have documentation, and you need to have resources. Those are the three main ingredients that you must have in place in order to respond, restore, and recover, or be resilient, or crisis ready even. That's right. And if, if the people aren't um, aware or ready, then no matter how good your plan is, things could fall apart. Well, what, the way that I simplify it is that there's three things. What do people need to know before the event? What do people need to know during the event? And what do people know after the event? And then I break it down even farther is that, okay, what role does this person have? Is it a team leader? Mm-hmm. Is it just a team member? Well, I train each one of those different roles differently. I don't teach everybody everything. I'm not trying to make mini-me's out there. It, it, <laughs> that, it's true. You're one of the first people I've heard who actually say that because I've been saying that for years. You know, different audiences and uh, oh, require have different requirements. Well, so they have different responsibilities and roles and, exactly. and different things that I want them or I'm asking them to do, <laughs> you know, when yeah. an event occurs and yeah. so forth. So, or not yeah. to do. Or, well, that <laughs> too. Depending on what it is. <laughs> that, is that too. So we, we only have, eh, there we go, one minute left. Okay. What, is there anything you'd like to say about Ripcord Solutions or anything that maybe we missed in our last minute here? Well, our fag- flagship product is that online training. And again, mm-hmm. it's not for the practitioners. It's for the practitioners to use as a tool to train the rest of the organization. That's as close to a silver bullet as any vendor has, has here as far as tools are concerned. Um, my job these days is I'm doing a lot of um, current state assessments, which include the f- future state assessment and roadmap. Uh, I also do advisory services and so forth. Uh, and Ripcord is one of the few companies who started out as a practitioner and didn't just move into this Mm. arena and become a consultant right from the start. I worked for, uh, I managed two Fortune 500 companies and um, for 12 years, 14 years uh, before I actually founded 
ripcord. Uh, how do we got 30 seconds left or or less? How do we? We'll how, how do people get a hold of you if they want to? Uh, uh, we can go to our website, uh, Ripcord Solutions. That's with an S, um, uh, plural. dot com or Phil dot Lambert at ripcordsolutions.com. So uh, anyone listening out there, that's how you get a hold of Ripcord Solutions and Phil, who uh, has kind of, uh, I guess you you kind of semi-retired them. You were saying your son is kind of. There. Oh, I'm still working. Still working. Uh, <laughs> still in charge. I'm, and well, yeah. I'm 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 getting to the point now where I can uh, choose how much I work, and uh, uh, and great point to be at. Yeah, uh, and my livability index has increased quite a bit in the last couple of years, <laughs> <laughs> which is really well. Great. Thanks for your time, Phil. I'm my glad pleasure. to have you here. My pleasure. Yeah, take care. Enjoy the yeah. rest of the uh, conference. Hey. And uh, again, we are broadcasting live from Phoenix DRJ. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.